the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. As soon as Mary appears in the Bible, she becomes an unbelievable example of an impossible kind of faith in God. You know, what we need in the church today are mothers who believe so profoundly in God's Word that they teach it to their children. They don't sit there and argue how it's not so. They don't try to make intellectual superstars out of their children so much as they try to make thinkers who honor and obey and love the Word of God. Welcome to Reaching Your Heart. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, you can call at any time, 24-7, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Someone is standing by right now to take your phone call. Here now is Pastor Michael Oxentenko with a broadcast he entitles Magnificent Mary. That's Magnificent Mary, and you can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. Here's Pastor Mike. Dear Father, as we bow our heads, we're grateful today for Jesus. We're grateful that he is who he claims to be, the Son of God, and that in his name we have life. And we ask you to give us more of him in Jesus' name. Amen. At the turn of the 20th century, Dr. Albert Schweitzer wrote a book that turned the scholarly study of Jesus on its head. And I mean, people, who's Albert Schweitzer? Well, he changed the course of New Testament studies whereby people today, where they used to read the gospel, say, oh, wow, the voice of God speaking through the life of Christ. No, today they say, well, a human book, maybe that's not exactly what happened. Jesus may not have lived. And the book was called The Quest of the Historical Jesus. Laying the groundwork for scholars like Rudolf Bultmann, Schweitzer. He argued that the Jesus we know in the New Testament, the document we hold in our hand, is essentially a myth. It's a false document. It does not bear witness to who Jesus really was. He claimed that Jesus is a figure in a fantasy cleverly engineered by a generation of disappointed followers. For Schweitzer, the real Jesus was a self-deceived phantom that could never be discovered in the pages of your New Testament. Now take your Bibles out and hold it with me, will you? Hold it with me. Now as you hold your New Testament in your hand here, turn to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke. And as you're looking at it, it says, Inasmuch as as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things which have been accomplished among us. So here is a gospel that starts by saying this is a narrative as to what really happened. Dr. Schweitzer said, you know what? We don't buy that. We don't buy that it was a narrative. We believe, in essence, it's a fake story created to make it so, so that people would feel good about who they were and to make believe that Jesus was somehow fulfilling what he came to do. So when we hold our Bibles in our hands, friends, we are either holding the Word of God or we are holding a myth. And Schweitzer believed we were essentially holding a myth in our hands. He believed that the Jesus behind the New Testament is foreign to us in every single way. He wrote, the historical Jesus, I'm quoting, the historical Jesus will be to our time a stranger and an enigma. In 1985, the Jesus Seminar was formed to renew Schweitzer's quest for the historical Jesus. 
Their goal was stated at Berkeley University by the seminary's founder, Dr. Robert Funk, in his opening address. I want to read that paragraph. We are about to embark on a momentous enterprise. We are going to inquire simply, rigorously about the voice of Jesus. After what he really said in this process, we will be asking a question that borders on sacred, that even abuts blasphemy. For many in our society, as a consequence, the course we shall follow may prove hazardous. We may well provoke hostility, but we will set out in spite of the dangers because we are professionals and because the issue of Jesus is there to be faced much as Mount Everest confronts the team of climbers. So here they are. They're saying, look, we're going to get to the bottom of who Jesus was. And when we get the answer, it's not going to be what everybody likes because we're honest scientists and we don't believe what we have in our hands is really the Word of God. I mean, can you believe that kind of stuff? This is the age we're living in where scholarship is saying you can't trust your Bible, you can't believe in it. And dear heart, I'm telling you right now, I stand before you with full confidence in the Word of God. I stand before you believing, not because I need to believe it, because the evidence supports it, that we hold in our hand here the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And with the testimony of Jesus, we can stand rock solid with faith at the time of the end without fear of skepticism or any other thing. Since 1985, twice a year, over 200 New Testament scholars have gathered together to share footnoted and analytical papers that attempt to distill the words of Jesus from the document New Testament. In other words, to figure out what Jesus really said and to expunge that which he did not say, assuming that this document is essentially a book full of lies. Now, I don't go there. Friend... In their little ivory towers, they hack and carve away at the Gospels until they have settled on what they believe is the true historical stuff of Jesus' words. Since 1985, they've been carving away at very important pieces of Jesus' teachings. And to date, the Jesus Seminar has rejected the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And I pastored a church not long ago around here. I followed a pastor who overtly taught that Jesus Christ was not raised from the dead in her own denomination. Blew my mind. Became a university professor and the president of that university. It blew my mind. May no Seventh-day Adventist who walks the halls of faith ever say anything like that. I believe in the gospel and the word of God and the resurrection of Jesus. The account that we have here. Friend, we are living in a time of unbelief when people have rejected the miracles of Jesus found in the Gospels. Now, if you don't believe a miracle could occur in the Old Testament, when you need a miracle in your life, guess what? It won't happen for you either. They have rejected over 80% of the teachings normally attributed to Jesus in the Berkeley Seminar movement. They have rejected the historicity of the biblical accounts because they believe they are merely a myth story. And they have rejected everything in the Bible, including the Lord's Prayer. They consider it not part of the words of Jesus. Now, recently I was following the news. I don't know if you noticed or not, but the Pope of Rome himself is suggesting that the Lord's Prayer needs to be edited. Have you been following that in the news? I mean... Lead us not into temptation. We shouldn't say that. Now, if the Lord Jesus says, lead us not into temptation, I'm going to accept it. And I don't care what religious leader anywhere has anything to say against it. Christ was right on. I mean, we know from the Gospels that Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted. God can test us as he did Abraham. And so I guess I'm going to have to set aside the Pope of Rome for the Word of God in this matter. Lead us not into temptation. He needs to stay in the Lord's Prayer. You see, this movement of the Berkeley Seminar of Albert Schweitzer and so on has affected so much of the Christian milieu that people do not believe that Christ is who he claims to be. 
Yes, they have rejected the teaching of the virgin birth of Jesus from a little teenage girl named Mary. And that will be the focus of our study today. As these so-called scholars have been sitting in their ivory towers in places like Berkeley, archaeologists have been getting their blue jeans dirty by finding the raw evidence that supports that Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be. Turn to Matthew 13, 54. Here we have the text. And coming to his own country, Jesus taught them in their synagogues so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son... Is not his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all this? I mean, Jesus had a family. He had brothers and sisters. He had a mother. Of course, God was his father. So the question is, how are these his brothers and sisters, either by marriage or by half-siblings or a mix of the two? I would like to propose to you this morning That Jesus learned wisdom, not just from God who gave it to him, but Jesus learned wisdom from Mary, his mother. He learned something from his mother Mary that carried him all the way from Nazareth to the cross. And that special relationship he had with his mom was such that it defined who he was, and in a sense it defined the gospel of God that would follow. Friend, Christ learned to believe in the impossible the impossible miracle of life at the feet of a magnificent mother who believed against all odds in the cause of God, in the call of God. As soon as Mary appears in the Bible, she becomes an unbelievable example of an impossible kind of faith in God. You know, what we need in the church today are mothers who believe so profoundly in God's Word that they teach it to their children. They don't sit there and argue how it's not so. They don't try to make intellectual superstars out of their children so much as they try to make thinkers who honor and obey and love the Word of God. It is a crying need in the church today. And that's why we have Sabbath schools here. You know, if your kids have got here on time, praise the Lord. But we have Sabbath schools to teach our children the Word of God at an early age to help parents in that capacity. So as soon as Mary appears in the Bible, she becomes an unbelievable example of an impossible kind of faith in God. Luke 1.26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. In these three verses, we are able to collect certain historical facts about the life of Mary. First, Mary lived in Nazareth in the land of Galilee. Now, this was to fulfill the prediction of Isaiah. This is no chance happening. In fact, the word Nazareth comes from the Hebrew Nazar. It means shoot. And it is the place of the shoot. And according to Isaiah, the Messiah would come up like a shoot from the stump of Jesse. And so it is a prophetic name describing the place where Christ would be born. But look at Isaiah 9.1. But there will be no gloom for her that was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he will make glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan. And what's the name given here? Galilee of the nations. Friend, Nazareth was in the land of Galilee. 
No doubt when Mary was a little girl, she heard the mocking and the laughter of the people from Judea as they passed through Nazareth. Of course, you know what was often said there, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And they would look at her, and of course she was associated with Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth, the land of Galilee? And of course that little girl would have made those associations in her head. I'm no good maybe. Maybe I'm just not a good person because of where I grew up. And maybe I can't get ahead because of my background. Can anything good come out of there? And the answer seemed to be no. Mary lived in Nazareth. She came from a town that was going nowhere in a hurry. And all her life she heard the sneers and the snarls of the other girls of Israel at the sacred feasts if she got a chance to go there, laughing at the little ghetto girl from the city of Nazareth in the land of Galilee. Little street urchin from the land of Naphtali and Zebulun, what are you doing in the big city with important people here? Like us, why did you come here? You are listening to Reaching Your Heart. More with Pastor Michael Tanko in just a moment. A reminder, we are a listener-funded ministry. We do appreciate your support. If you can help us out with a financial contribution, here's the phone number, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. You can also find us on the web at reachingyourheart.com. Here he is, Pastor Mike, once again. No doubt, Mary like many of her home, would have cried because she could not escape the poverty and the lack of privilege she was born into by default. I don't know about you. I've seen both sides of the coin here. I grew up in poverty. Anybody here grew up in poverty? I grew up in raw poverty in this country. I knew it was like to have cardboard on my windows, to have an outhouse, and to know it was like to sleep with my dog next to me because it was cold. So I know what it's like. And I also know what it's like to have plenty. And I have in my heart a place for those who have nothing. I think the church ought to be a place where rich and poor, where people at different places can come and be a family and where needs can be met in the church and people who are poor can learn to provide and can learn to contribute. I really believe that. And for me, the church has been a place of salvation in that regard. But Mary came from a place of extreme poverty, a little street urchin from the land of Naphtali and Zebulun. No doubt Mary cried in the night like many others did. Mary, Mary, quite contrary, I imagine they would say. Mary, Mary, that was her only way out of the problem. Maybe she could marry someone and find income or something to overcome the challenge. But Mary was destined to marry someone, maybe. Isaiah said, there shall be no gloom for her that was in anguish. No doubt he was thinking of Mary in part here. According to the prophet Isaiah, The land of Galilee would be a land where a very special child would grow up to be a very special prince. And according to the prophet Isaiah, he would have a mother who lived a life of anguish. It's implied in verse 6. Look what it says. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Mary grew up in the land of Galilee without one shred of a chance of becoming a somebody. That is except for the chance that is found in the impossible promise of God's word. Luke 1.27, Luke tells us that Mary was a virgin. You know, we read it without a second thought today. Oh, Mary was a virgin. 
when I was a kid, I watched Star Wars a lot because I didn't know better. I don't today, and I don't recommend it. But, you know, they had this Luke Skywalker's dad being born of a virgin mother in that series. From what I understand, trying to mimic this. Supposedly the force had produced the father out of thin air or something. You see, there's something about this story that is so amazing that you can make millions of dollars on it if you recapture it and you put it into the Hollywood sphere today. But what's so amazing about it is it's the first time in history where it was so. The first Adam had no father and mother, was created out of the earth, but this one was connected to the old race and supernaturally connected to the new by the providence of God, a virgin birth. In Luke's gospel, he often provides details that would not have been obvious to the reader of his day. For a girl in Nazareth to grow up and remain a virgin was an achievement in and of itself. It was out of character with the place and the times. The Greek proponents of safe sex had made their mark on Palestine, and many a Jewish girl had become a notch on a Greek sailor's belt. And yet Mary had remained pure. She was different than the milieu around her. I'm sure many of her friends didn't bother to remind Mary that she was a virgin. So Luke says she was a virgin. Now, according to Luke, Mary was not only a virgin, she was also engaged. In the Greek, the word betrothed is a perfect passive participle. It indicates that Mary had been engaged for quite a while and she was still engaged. According to Jewish custom, the engagement would last about a year. Did anyone ever have an engagement about a year? I think ours was about a year. Anyone have an engagement for two years? Six months? Come on, I'm going to get a feel for it here. Six months engagement back there? So he's about six months. How many of you had an engagement for two weeks? Anybody here? Month? Okay, one month engagement back there. So the spectrum can go from a month to a year or whatever. According to Jewish custom, the engagement would last about a year. The engagement was the first phase of the full marriage. In Jesus' day, a girl was usually married between 13 and 14 years of age. If you were engaged in those days, in principle, you were married. So you better not mess up after you get engaged. According to Jewish law, if a betrothed woman was found with another person's child, other than the person of betrothal, during this time she was sure to be stoned. Look at Deuteronomy 22:23. Here we have it. If there is a betrothed virgin and a man meets her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city and you shall do what? What did it say? Stone them with stones. It's very emphatic. The young woman, because she did not cry for help, though she was in the city, and the man, because he violated his neighbor's wife, so you shall purge the evil from the midst of you. That's pretty harsh words. I mean, that's rough. I mean, I had to have that hanging over me if I was engaged. Pretty harsh words for a virgin who turns up pregnant. We believe the church is a place where people have made mistakes can come home and find grace, don't we? And we're not here to celebrate a person's failings. We want people to get over stuff, move on, and find God. But that was a pretty strict environment in the Old Testament times. That is why the words of Gabriel recorded in Luke 128 seem a little strange here. Look what it says. And Gabriel came to her and said, Hail, O favored one, the Lord is with you. On the surface, it's no favor at all for Mary to suddenly turn up pregnant at the hands of the Lord. Imagine her excuse to her in-laws here. Well, I was standing in my house. I saw a light. You know, it kind of like materialized right in front of my bed. Right there. Boom. And then I saw an angel. You know, with wings. The glow. White raiment. I can't remember. Well, maybe I can't remember if he had wings or not. But it was so bright. But he was an angel. 
And he called himself Gabriel. You know, the angel in the book of Daniel. Yeah, a prophetic angel. There he was in my room. Gabriel came in, not for lunch or tea, you see. He came in for something else. For me. He told me that God needed me in a very special way. You won't believe it, folks. Guess what? That kind of way. Kind of like Zeus, you know? And before you knew it, I was standing there and suddenly I was pregnant just like that. The Ruach Elohim, the Holy Spirit came upon me and I was with child because of God. God did this. And then the predictable response in every Jewish town, maybe not Galilee because it was off the charts in terms of its morality, but who knows, they begin to pick up stones and say, tell us the story again, Mary. Not only would they have stoned her on the spot for adultery in certain places in Palestine, they would have stoned her also for blasphemy because of what she was claiming here. There's comedy in the air when the angel said, Hail, O favored one, the Lord is with you. The Greek language literally says, The Lord has been gracious to you, filled with favor from God, Mary, are you? Verse 29. It makes a lot of sense in the disturbing context of her predicament. Look what it says. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and consider in her mind what sort of greeting this might be. Okay, what do you want from me? She's saying, all right, what do you want from me? The answer comes in verse 30. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And what does the angel say? You will call his name Jesus. The angel continues, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Me, pregnant now? No, I'm a teenager. I'm only 14. You call that favor from God? How can you conceive without a husband? I mean, imagine the questions going through Mary's mind as she was standing in the presence of this extraterrestrial who was making these statements to her. How can I conceive without a husband? How can I have a child? I'm betrothed, but how? How would I ever live it down if it were so? How would I face the crowds in life? Favored one. I don't know if that makes sense to me, Gabriel. Explain. In verse 34, Mary questions Gabriel. Mary said to the angel, how shall this be since I have no husband? Mary is thinking of two things. Number one, she has no right to a child except with Joseph after the marriage. Number two, it's impossible. Virgins are amoebas, and since they are amoebas, how on earth can this be? Within the difficult words of Gabriel, subtle words of hope and promise are found that are coming from God. And Mary latches onto those. Gabriel says, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. The first time in her life, someone took the time right here to remind Mary that she was not a street urchin, that she was not just some nobody stuck up out there in the land of Galilee, that in her holy line, there was the signs of greatness still. Even though the booth of David had fallen, even though the monarchy had passed, there was still this connection to the past. And that connection to the past meant the great God who did things back then can do them again today. And she latched on to his father, David. Yes, I am of the line of David. Yes, I am a no one in many people eyes today, but I go back to someone who mattered and God heard David. God can hear me too. And for the first time in her life, someone insinuated that she was special in God's eyes. 
She discovers that she is a princess in God's eyes who can give birth to a king for God. At this point, the angel answers Mary's question with a lesson in spiritual biology. You know, I like God's biology better than human biology. According to human biologists, you can't get out of the ground on resurrection morning. Isn't that right? Can't do it. I could care less about human biology because the power of the preexistent Christ will raise his people from the dead at the end of the age. And the same power was manifested in the incarnation, took the divinity of God, the Son of God, the preexistent Son of God, and put it together with that which made the humanity of Christ, and thus the two natures became one. Distinct yet one in the sense, distinct natures, but one person, the Son of God. Dr. Luke is very careful to accurately record the angel's explanation in Luke 1.35. And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Some people say, what's the difference between Jesus and us when we were born? Now take your Bibles and look at verse 35, are you? This child, from the very moment of its birth, was called Holy. Now, Holy means without sin, doesn't it? It means separate. Correct? Now, it can be set apart for service to God and so on. But in this context, he was set apart for God. You see, Christ was born totally in a relationship with God. We are not born that way. And so Christ, from the very get-go, did not have a severed relationship with God. Thus, he became the second Adam. Verse 36, And behold, your kinswoman Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, For with God, now I like this statement here, the angel's just being flat out honest. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Thanks for listening today to Reaching Your Heart with Pastor Michael Oxentenko. We are a listener-supported ministry and would love for you to partner with us as we continue to present Christ-centered biblical truths of Scripture in practical and relevant ways. Call us right now at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Visit the website reachingyourheart.com to find out more about this ministry, Reaching Your Heart, and Pastor Michael Oxentenko. That's reachingyourheart.com. 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. You can donate right there on the website, reachingyourheart.com. 888-244-HOPE. Thanks for listening. And as always, we do pray that God is reaching your heart. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.